0: The Chosen is a wildly popular show about the life of Jesus Christ. It's received a lot of praise as well as its fair share of criticism. And here to discuss all of those things is the creator of the show, Dallas Jenkins. We will talk about his life, his story, what led him to create The Chosen. And we will also talk about some of the pushback that the show has received, including the controversy surrounding his comments about Mormonism and Jesus. It's a great conversation. I know that you're going to love it. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout for a discount. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Dallas, thanks so much for joining us.
1: I appreciate you having me. This is great.
0: Yeah, so many people out there love The Chosen. A lot of people have questions for you about The Chosen. Um, let's first back up before even you started this series. I know a lot of people probably know your story, but if you could just give us a little summary of how you got into the Christian media biz.
1: Well, I my, my father is Jerry Jenkins. He wrote the Left Behind books. Yep. And so those were huge you know, they're still pretty big. But back in the day, about 25 years ago, they were pretty huge. And yeah. uh, there was a movie being developed about uh, based on the first Left Behind book when I was in college. And uh, I had been wanting to get into film in some way. I mean, I was I, I remember seeing the movie One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest when I was in high school. Yeah. And that movie changed my life. I was like, whatever that is, I want to do that. I wanna What make was movies. it
0: about it? What was it about that movie?
1: Well, there was a scene I was watching it in my home. It was on TV. And there's a scene where Jack Nicholson's character is not allowed to watch TV. Yeah. He wanted to watch the World Series game. And yeah. Nurse Ratchet says you can't watch it. So he goes and sits in front of a television and pretends, he starts broadcasting a fake World Series game. Wow! Yeah. And the other inmates start listening to him and getting excited and he starts yelling and talking about this uh, home run just hit and he's he's like a broadcaster and they start cheering and, and I'm literally just sitting there. There's like tears streaming down my face yeah. and I am so excited and I'm like, I want to do that. I want to yeah inspire in people the kind of reaction that I'm having, this yeah. kind of emotional response to something. And so that's when I was like, I, and what's funny is, I think at the time I was wanting to be a sports broadcaster. Mm. So, that I think that had something to do with it too, the scene. Yeah. So I wanted to make movies, and uh, so uh, my thought was, well, as a as a young guy growing up, I'd, I I grew up uh, I've grown up in the faith, and as a Christian, but I love TV and movies, but there wasn't anything that represented my faith. That I liked as much as the normal TV and movies yeah, that I would watch. Exactly like all the if stuff. yeah, if there was a Christian movie that came out, it wasn't any good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I didn't know what kind of movies I necessarily wanted to make, but I knew I wanted to get into that in some way. And I thought it'd be good to represent my stories in yeah. some way, stories of faith. And I remember there was a moment um, in, I think it was around 20, 2007 or so. Mm-hmm. I was mowing the lawn, and. I felt like God just like put it really strongly on my heart Uh, because I was kind of bad mouthing slash apologizing for faith based films. Like I don't really want to do that because they're so bad. And God was like, "My people deserve good stuff too, Mm. you know. So Mm -hmm. uh, why don't you just make it better?" If and so instead of
0: just talking about how bad it is. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so, um, or or instead of I think sometimes we we get into this perspective of trying to be cool. Yeah. You know, like well. I don't want to be like, even when you use the term Christian media, I was like, my instinct was like, well, I wouldn't call it Christian media, Mm. just do media and happens to have faith in it. And sometimes I get, you get defensive of that. And I'm, I'm I'm trying to get rid of that and just go, look, I'm, look, I'm doing a show called The Chosen. It's about Jesus by definition. That's Christian. (laughs) So uh, I got more comfortable with it. But long story short, I I just really, I think uh, it was about 15 years ago where I thought, look, I, I have something. I think, unique to say, uh, that most filmmakers are looking for something unique to say. And even studios are looking for filmmakers who have unique things to say. And uh, I thought, if I'm just trying to be a normal filmmaker, (laughs) uh, you know, there's many people who can do that. What is it that I, what is unique about what I have to say or what I can bring to the table or what God may want me to share? Mm -hmm. And so I, I embraced that. I became okay with that, with, 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 all right, I want to tell stories that reflect God, God. And, uh, and that, that's, that's when I shifted probably again, about 15 years ago to start starting really focusing on stories that were uniquely, um, about the relationship God wants to have with, Mm -hmm. with, with humanity
0: it is interesting that a lot of christians i mean myself included sometimes on the one hand you complain about secular media and the values that it's promoting and how it's promoting degeneracy and all of that but at the same time then you complain about the christian media or however you want to describe it that's it might be promoting the values that you like but it's not entertaining or you think it's lame or the acting is bad or something like that and so you kind of decided you know what i'm not going to sit in either camp God has given me these talents right. I'm going to drive forward to make good and excellent content right. that also happens to be glorifying to the Lord.
1: Yeah. And, and, and not be ashamed of that on any level. And, and I found that people that rejected stories of faith were rejecting more the, the quality than they were necessarily the story. Um, there are plenty of people who aren't believers who will watch A movie or TV show that comes from a faith perspective or is about a faith story, if it's compelling. I mean, I watched tons of stuff that comes from faith backgrounds or non faith backgrounds that I don't necessarily share, but I still am interested in the story. Sure. And uh, that we found that with The Chosen. I mean, there are tons of, I mean, heck, over half of our cast and crew aren't believers Hmm. and they love the show. They were attracted to be part of the show. Uh, we, We have tons of viewers who aren't who don't necessarily believe Jesus was the son of God, but know the stories and love the historical context of it and love the show because they think it's a compelling show. So, um, I just decided, look, trying to water it down, trying to please multiple audiences. Like God took all of that away from me a few years ago when I had a huge career failure. So I've kind of let all that go and just decided to focus on just trying to tell the best story that I can.
0: Yeah. You've directed several films, but the chosen is different. The chosen, um, like you said, is different in that it's not just appealing to faith-based audiences, even though it is a faith-based show, but its Mm. reach is really wide. Were you at all surprised by that when you saw the huge response that it got, even from the beginning back in, you know, I think it was 2017 that it started, right? I mean, was that a little surprising to you?
1: I have stopped being surprised or not surprised by success or failure you know it was in 2017 that my feature film came out that completely bombed at the box office Mm. and it had big expectations and i had big expectations and hopes and i was trying to be affirmed by hollywood it was my big opportunity to have a, a movie that came out in multiple theaters and and uh and then when it bombed um i had this moment i was home alone with my wife crying and yeah. shocked and just in just a couple hours I went from being a director with a very bright future to being a director with no future because yeah. all these big Hollywood studios that had worked with me on this movie when it bombed they were like all right all our plans to do more movies with you those are no longer in effect yeah. you know again so when
0: you say it bombed it just not enough people saw it in the first weekend it was you know below estimates B-
1: below their lowest estimates yes okay and uh, the movie had gotten it was a movie called the resurrection of gavin stone and uh, it had it tested really well, and the studios yeah. behind it were really positive. And, and these are some pretty big Hollywood companies. And and uh, because it had tested so well and they were so optimistic about it, they were like, we're going to do multiple movies with you
0: Yeah. Uh, in
1: the future. So and you then, were
0: feeling really good. Oh, yeah.
1: And, uh, and then on Friday afternoon, the, the numbers start coming in from the East Coast. Yeah. And within a couple hours, you, it's a math equation. You can tell how the movie's going to do that weekend, yeah. how it's going to do. And like election just, night or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it, it just totally failed. And, uh, Man, I'm, I'm, I'm that homo- must
0: have been just such a difficult Feeling to go through. Not only did you put all that effort in, but you have voices in your head telling you I mean, literal voices, people yeah. saying this is going to be a huge success and will really be kind of the springboard yes. for you. I can't imagine the disappointment.
1: I was, yeah, I mean, I was devastated. And my wife and I were home alone. It was a Friday afternoon and just so confused because the things that had happened to lead up to that point had felt so God led, like there were so many doors that had opened surprisingly. And again, getting some of these big companies that normally would never do a faith based project, but really were interested in it and excited about it. And then it totally bombs. And you're thinking, well, this, this doesn't make sense because God, God's not the author of failure. So clearly I guess I was wrong. He wasn't behind this. I thought he was behind this, but I guess he wasn't. And uh, when I was, home alone with my wife, there was this moment where we were in different rooms and she, she came into the kitchen where I was getting something to eat. And she says, I feel like God is placing on my heart really clearly, like as clearly as if he was saying it out loud, read the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in the Bible. When, when Jesus was, had been preaching for several days and the crowd was starving and, and a boy brings five loaves and two fish and he multiplies the loaves and fish and and feeds 5,000 people and so we didn't know why we were supposed to read that story and what it meant. But So we're reading it and trying to glean something from it. And one thing we noticed was that uh, the reason that the people were so hungry was Jesus' fault. He's the one who'd been talking for so long. He, he, he brought them to that place of hunger where the only thing left to satisfy it was a miracle. So we thought, oh, okay, maybe God is behind this. And he's bringing us to this place of desperation, and now a miracle's coming. You know, maybe the box office numbers will magically turn around this mm. weekend, and and we're going to be able to have this great story to tell. And that didn't happen. Uh, in fact, that night the numbers got got even a little worse. It was almost like God was saying, "That's not the lesson that I have for you in this story." But we didn't know. We were just trying to figure out what is it that we're trying to learn. You know, that we need to learn from this. And um, that night at uh, four o'clock in the morning, I'm on. I'm, I'm writing a memo, a fifteen-page memo about. Everything that went wrong and what I need to learn from it and what the mistakes I made and why this was my fault and trying to solve the issue so that this doesn't happen again. And just a message pops up on my computer through Facebook from someone I've never met, just a, a Facebook friend. Didn't even say hi. All he said was, remember, it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the wow. loaves and fish. Wow. Like just, and, and, and I'm like, I, I I typed it back. I'm like, what are you doing up at four in the morning? That was my first question. And he's like, well, I'm on the other side of the world. I'm in Romania. I'm visiting my brother. I said, do you mind me asking why you said that? Hmm. And he goes, oh, that, that wasn't me. God told me to tell that to you. And in that moment, my life changed because, A, I felt more than ever like God was present and in this and watching and had, you know, had... My interests and in mind, you know, and it, I, I felt I felt I felt more cared for in that moment than ever because it was like he was saying, "Yeah, I, th- this movie failed, but I've got something for you in it." And um, but then also that concept. This is the answer to your question. I know it's a long way to no, get to it, but but you're asking if I was surprised in that moment. In my early 40s, for the first time in my life, I stopped caring about the results for the first time. I was someone who felt responsible for results. I felt responsible for success or failure, Mm -hmm. even if it was something that was God breathed, um, or God inspired. And, uh, And so for the first time I was like, okay, all right, I'm gonna get on this plan of the five loaves and two fish that I provide need to be good and healthy so that if God chooses to multiply them, they can feed people. But if not, that's up to him. The results aren't up to me anymore. The, uh, the success or failure isn't up to me. How it's used or not used is not up to me. When I present my five loaves and two fish to God and he deems them worthy, the transaction's over. And I I really embrace that. And it became a superpower in many ways. I stopped thinking about goals and trying to achieve and numbers and success. And I just literally focused on what's in front of me and what can I do. And if I if I'm in God's will, if I feel like what I'm doing is 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 right and what he wants and that's that's all I'm focused on.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so am I surprised that the show ended up blowing up based on a short film that I did for my church. Like it was several months later after my big failure, I had the script for a short film about the birth of Christ from perspective of the shepherds that I had written and uh, put on the shelf because I was doing this big movie and uh, I said to my church do we want to do this? And they said yes. That's when I got the idea for the sh- for the show. And, uh, but I didn't think the show was going to get made because, you know, there's not people lining up around the block to do a Jesus show. And I was coming off of a career failure. So, uh, this short film ended up going out on social media, crowdfunded $10 million for season one of the chosen. It shattered the all time crowdfunding record. All these things I thought were ridiculous, Yeah. but I was on the loaves and fishes plan. Right. So I'm like, you know what? It's not my job to worry about that. So I'm not surprised because God can do anything. But I wouldn't have been surprised if it would have failed as well for whatever you want to consider failure. But if nothing would have happened from The Chosen, I wouldn't have been surprised by that either. So I'm just on this. I'm just making loaves and fish. The blank blank screen for season four, the scripts that I'm writing now, doesn't care about how successful the show's been. I still have to try to write a show that is good and honoring yeah and so again i know that's a really long answer to your question but
0: it's good there's a lot of good lessons in there it's funny because my dad tells me the same thing because just like in any work that someone does that a Christian does, there are times that you feel like, is it really making an impact? Am I really doing the right thing? Or I messed up in saying that, and that wasn't exactly what I wanted to say, or maybe I'm not having the effect that I want. And my dad always just says fishes and loaves. Oh, really? Yes. That's the same thing that my dad tells me. Even though that passage of scripture is historically true, it's not primarily a metaphor. The principle is there. The principle is there is that God is going to multiply how he wants to multiply. And as you said, the point is not the result. The point is the obedience. The point is that God is going to get glory through our obedience, whether it ends in what we call failure or right. what we call success. Right. So I'm I'm appreciative of your of your long answer. There's a lot of good lessons in that.
1: Yeah, and and the thing is. It it would have been ridiculous for the boy who provided the loaves and fish to go home to his parents and say, I fed five thousand people today. Right. Isn't that amazing? Of course not. That's ridiculous. It, that's and that's how I talk about the chosen. When people are like, Wow, are you are you know, how are you proud of what the chosen has done? I'm like, I'm I'm not responsible for a hundred million people around the world yeah. watching this show. Like that I, I you know, I feel like my loaves and fish are pretty good. You know, I'm proud of that, but yeah, the, the multiplication is really not up to me. And and uh, so yeah that 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 metaphor I mean, what's interesting about the story too is that God could have just could have just ha- multi- multiplied fish and loaves from scratch like mm-hmm. he could have just waved his hand and yeah. and all that fish and loaves could have just come from nothing but he he does want us to participate he yeah. does use us and then when it came time to to distribute it he had the disciples go hand out all the loaves and fish yeah I mean he does par- he, he, all the things that he we don't need him to do he wants us to do
0: Okay, first sponsor for the day is Public SQ. That stands for public square. And it's this incredible app that can connect you to businesses and services in your area that actually align with your values. So you don't have to worry about going to a coffee shop that is actually communist or buying your clothes from someone who is then turning around and, and donating your money to Planned Parenthood. You can try to build a parallel economy in your own life by supporting businesses and people that support the things that you believe in by going to the Public Square app. You can also list your business. And so if you own a business or have a service and you love America and you want customers that align with your values, then you can list your business on Public Square. Go to publicsq.com. All you got to do is create an account. You'll put, you know, where you live so you can find these. Local businesses, you can download the app at the App Store and you can go to publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com. And that's something really we see throughout scripture that I've noticed that God is a God of processes. Yeah. He could really do anything automatically. He didn't need, you know, Israel to wander through the wilderness for. 40 years, he could have just said, here's the promised land. I got those enemies out. You're good to go. And yet we constantly see him um, sanctifying and right. bringing them through challenges and really putting them in a position to where they have to depend on him. And we just have to believe that all of that, all of those processes are for God's glory, even yeah. when we don't see it.
1: Yeah. Um, like the, the the parting of the Red Sea. He still he said, I need you to strike your staff on the rock. Like there's right. always something that he asks us to do to kind yeah. of unlock this, th- what's yeah. bigger? It's it's a fascinating. Yeah, and it's process. not that
0: he needs our right. Of course not. Yeah. Effort. It's just that somehow he gets glory out of it. Yeah. I imagine that it is. A huge undertaking, and you kind of just mentioned this when you're thinking, okay, you're not responsible for the millions of people watching this, but I still imagine, as you are trying to create a series, The Chosen, that reflects the life of Christ, that is as biblically and historically, culturally accurate as possible, Mm -hmm. while still having to take creative license, for example, like— Matthew, you depict him as someone who's on the spectrum. Yep. We don't see that in the Bible, and so how do you approach that huge task of trying to stay as accurate and grounded as possible while also being creative and creating a series that people really want to watch?
1: Yeah, well, what's interesting is uh, I would say probably ninety-five percent of the content of the show isn't directly from Scripture. People call it a Bible show; they'll call it a Jesus show, and mm-hmm. I'm 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 okay with that. But I'll say. This is actually, I mean, the Bible is for sure the the primary source of truth and inspiration for the show, but there's a ton of content that isn't actually directly from scriptures. So to your question, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous proposition. You know, you're walking a fine line, especially as someone like myself who loves the Bible. And I know that people who watch it, the majority of people who watch it are going to be wanting us to be remain faithful to the scriptures as much as possible. We operate from the, this question, is this plausible? Whatever we write that, is, that didn't come from Scripture, is this plausible culturally, historically? And does it fit within the character and intentions of Jesus in the Gospels, even if it's not directly from them, or even if we don't know if it's fact or not? So for example, Matthew being on the spectrum. Uh, is that plausible? I think so. Why? Well, we this is, this is a good uh, example of how we approach the show in general. We start with what we know from Scripture. So we know that Matthew was a tax collector uh that means he was a numbers guy uh he he, we know he's a facts guy the first chapter of his book is a genealogy divided into three sections of 14 names apiece Uh, we know that he chose a profession that made him an outcast hated by the jews for betraying his people by being a tax collector and working for the romans disrespected by the romans for being jewish all of these things we're, we're, we're writing them down on a on a big piece of paper as we're formulating the character of matthew and I'm someone who's very familiar with the autism world. I have autism in my family. I've done a lot of work in the special needs community, so I know autism very, very closely. And uh, I'm like, these are these are traits of Aspergers. These are traits of you know numbers, facts, uh, socially outcast, but maybe comfortable with that because maybe you prefer to be a little bit uh, a- alone. And uh, we thought, what if what if Matthew? What if we could have? What if we could portray him as being on the spectrum? Think of how human that is. Think of how relatable that could be for people. Um, Taking the stories from 2,000 years ago and actually putting them into a modern context for the viewer could be really powerful and relatable. Now, doing something just to be relatable, that could be a problem. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to take the gospel. All right, we're going to change it. We're going to make it more. We're going to water it down so that people get it. We're going to do something. We're going to try to have more diversity just to be politically correct. Just try to appeal as many people as possible. That would be a problem, but this is plausible. If it's Mm. plausible and it happens to uh, allow the viewer to connect even more deeply to the people and see Jesus through the eyes of people who actually followed him, that could be really impactful. So that's how we approach all of these stories that you see in the show. Some come directly from scripture, some come from our imagination, but I think all of it comes through this filter of plausibility based on a desire to be faithful to the scriptures and to the character and intentions of jesus and the gospels it's not easy it's on dangerous ground we get we get a lot of criticism obviously from people who don't want to see anything that's not from scripture but uh but we do believe that it's a it's a we're not the bible we're not pretending to be the bible we're not a replacement for scripture we never claim to be we're not adding to scripture because scripture is scripture that's the bible your Bible hasn't changed since The Chosen came out. Uh, we're not adding to it. This is a show about first century Galilee using the Bible as our primary as source. As your guide, yeah.
0: right. Has there been any criticism? With every popular project, there's going to be criticism. It's just yeah. inevitable. Has there been any criticism that has made you go, hmm, actually, that might be a good point, or has like <laughs> caused you to either change direction or at least, I don't know, think a little bit more deeply about a choice that the series made?
1: I would say not a lot, and here's why. Not because I'm arrogant and don't accept criticism. It's because we do so much of that work on the front end. Yeah. So when we do something on in the show that someone is bothered by, sometimes they'll even say, Boy, you know, you, you need to change that. Or why aren't you apologizing for that? We're offended, you know. And I'll say we, we, we thought through all this deeply yeah. on the front end. I mean, I have I have Bible consultants that I that I work with. Um, I, I go through a lot of research a lot of prayer a lot of we, we we take this very very seriously So by the time we've released the show It's very unlikely that someone's going to point out something that we haven't thought of mm-hmm. and considered now There's been stuff that I that we missed, you know, whether it's some, some sort of cultural fact some historical fact that maybe we got wrong um, You know inadvertently or, you know, maybe slipped through the cracks but when it comes to our biblical approach or our approach to how, theology and whatnot—it's unlikely that uh, a, a YouTube comment is going to suddenly settle 2,000 years of debate yeah. <laughs> about the theology of God versus man. And you know, the, the most controversial thing that we that we've done to, the, to date was uh, there was about 10 seconds of Jesus—he was preparing uh, for the big Sermon on the Mount, and he's kind of working out some of the things in his head of what he wants to say, and he's working on the turn of phrase it's kind of like it's like sermon prep and there were some people who just were so offended oh. that god jesus would ever need to prepare or that he would struggle to come up with the right words hmm. or anything like that hmm. and i understand what they're saying um but they would be like jesus is god he would never never struggle you know uh, to think of anything and then you look at a verse like in philippians where it says that jesus did not count. Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he actually gave up a lot of his, his the things that he has when he's sitting at the right hand of the father, mm-hmm. he didn't have when he was on earth. And so there's a spectrum of of, yeah. of what Jesus may have known or not known, yeah. how God was he, how man was he, you know, the, there's a term called the hypostatic union where it's, he was both fully God and fully man. Well, this has been debated and discussed for thousands of years. It's it's vexed scholars the world yeah. over. People who love the Bible can disagree on this issue.
0: Yeah. And
1: yet a YouTube commenter can say, no, I know it and you're wrong and I'm going to settle this debate. So I'm using that as an example of, of the kind of thing where the decision to do that on my part was was made and thought through deeply before we brought it to the world. So their comment isn't going to necessarily make me go, yeah. oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. Let me change my mind. So
0: Right. Th- and I, you're not claiming that those things are not debatable right and so because as you said i mean jesus is fully god and fully man a lot of those things of how that manifested itself what weaknesses he did have um as far as even just the weakness of hunger or the weakness of thirst like how much did that really have an effect on his life and on his mind and so i think it just goes back to kind of what you were saying that is it plausible not is it in scripture or is it yeah
1: and i even said i'm not willing to say that our portrayal in that moment was fact i don't know that but neither do you so let's explore together you shouldn't be relying on me or the show for your entire theological interpretation of who god is Mm -hmm. you should be in a good church you should be reading the scriptures that's where this show is a supplement this show is a is a is like as you just mentioned, it's a, it's a, it's what we believe a plausible yeah. attempt to capture the yeah. people of first century Galilee, but I, I think it's I think it's good healthy discussions.
0: Yeah, I would have thought that you would say that the most controversial thing or the thing that caused the most criticism was when Jesus said, "I am the law of Moses," and people interpreted that as quoting the Book of Mormon, which I know that you've already answered this. It was not a direct quote from the Book of Mormon, not also a direct quote from scripture. Right. So I would have thought that that was the thing that caused the most
1: Well, that backlash. episode hasn't come out yet. That was in the trailer. Oh, so, okay, so, yes. I
0: must have missed that part. Well, All no, right. no,
1: no, I mean, it's it, well, it was in the trailer. And, and so, yes, I would say you're right, that that became uh, one of the most controversial things. Uh, yeah, because, so there's a moment in episode three, which is coming up uh, th- this Sunday night, actually, um, that we have our big live stream. On December, on Christmas, uh, December twenty fifth, uh, we have our big episode three live stream, and that'll get give everyone the chance to see the scene that has the quote that vexed so many people. So, uh, one of the Pharisees is really upset with Jesus for claiming to be the Messiah uh, in his own hometown, and uh, they're saying you're a false prophet, and uh, because you're a false prophet, we have no choice but to follow the law of Moses. Uh, which, of course, says you put to death false prophets, and Jesus steps up to him and says, "I am the law of Moses." And yes, there there a uh, rumor got spread that that's a quote from the Book of Mormon. Now, I've never actually read the Book of Mormon, uh, so I, I you know, even if it had been a quote, I wouldn't have known it. And it's not yeah. even a direct quote anyway. That the to,
0: quote I think from the Book of Mormon is like, "I am the law." And I am the, the law life, and or the light. light. Yeah, yeah.
1: So. so all that to say. Um, yes that there were some major criticism and and controversy came about from that quote and uh what's what's interesting about it is that i think sometimes people make assumptions even about what you mean from something so for example jesus in that scene i do believe it's plausible for him to claim i'm the law of moses uh many Many people, many scholars would would consider Jesus to be the living, breathing Torah, the living word, as they say, Um, that that he that even though he has fulfilled the law, that doesn't mean the law is done. And and of course, we believe he and the father co-authored the law. So all of those things are, again, theological discussions worthy of, of, of debate. That said, what he is doing in that moment is he is asserting authority. So the Pharisee is saying the law of Moses is our authority. And he's going, I'm I'm your authority. I'm the authority. Yeah. So it's yeah. like if someone comes to the to like let's say a big authority figure comes to someone's house and and uh, and 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 the person living in the house says, hey, I'm you know what I'm going to call the police. And the person goes, look, I am the police. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't necessarily mean they're literally a police officer, but they're saying I'm right. the authority. Whatever you see is your authority. That's me. Yeah. That's what Jesus is asserting in that scene. And in the context of the full scene, which you can see in episode three, is it's probably the most blatant declaration in the whole show of Jesus as God, Jesus as Son of God, Jesus as the Savior. So a lot of what I kind of chuckled to myself going, a lot of the critics of this moment are actually, if they saw the whole scene, are seeing it's probably the most blatant depiction of Jesus as the authority that we'll ever show. So, but you bring up a great example, which is that when we're doing 56 episodes of this show, that's going to be about 50 hours of television portraying Jesus, the most famous and influential man in history. There's going to be moments that, everyone has a disagreement with even as someone like myself who loves god's word the the most staunch practicing evangelical will at some point in this show see something that they don't fully agree with the hope is that you have a little bit of grace and go you know what? there's things on which we can disagree it doesn't mean that you're a heretic it doesn't mean that you're trying to lead people away from the authentic jesus it means that there's a lot of things that we don't fully know and understand let's wrestle with them
0: All right, it's time to tell you once again about one of my favorite sponsors, and that is Carly Jean Los Angeles. The reason why this is one of my favorite sponsors is because even if they weren't a sponsor to the show, I would still be buying their clothes because their clothes are amazing. They're so high quality. They're exactly my style. I'm a very simple gal. They're simple clothes for all kinds of seasons, all different seasons of life. Plus, my girl Carly Jean, she's a Christian. She's got our values. I love supporting her. She's built an amazing company, also their basics line all 100% American made and you know that's important for me. So this is another way that you can support Christians who are trying to build companies that support the things that you and I believe in. Go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Use promo code B for 20% off, excluding final sale items. Always free shipping over $100. Use promo code Allie A-L-L-I-E-B for 20% off. Always free shipping over $100. B at CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. The number one question that I got from my audience, as you can probably guess, was about Mormonism and about some recent comments that you made. You clarified those comments. You said, you know, there are some LDS people that I know, we love the same Jesus. And then you kind of clarified that to say not that lds and evangelical con- or evangelical christians have the same theology right. but that the ones you know love the same jesus i mean as you know some people have a problem with that right. mormonism does not believe that jesus is god believes that jesus is a son of god and became like god right. was actually a brother of satan so it's not the same jesus <laughs> it's not the same god at all and the differences are extremely fundamental yeah. i would say much more than you know, Catholicism or sure. things like that. And so, um, you know, some people were a little concerned uh, yeah. concerned about that.
1: Well, out of context, you take the phrase what I, that I said where I said, we love the same Jesus. And they said, okay, Dallas is saying that all Mormons, all LDS folks love the same Jesus as evangelicals. Now, I'm not going to speak for the LDS church, uh, but what I was saying, and I think, I, I, think I, w- I think my wording was sloppy. I think that I could have clarified a little bit better. I do have some LDS friends. Not all. I, I, have, I have LDS friends who I would say don't necessarily love the same Jesus that I do. I do have some that we have, I have spent hundreds of hours with. Mm-hmm. I have prayed with. I have wept with. I have gone to Israel with. I have spent hundreds of hours of talking. And I would say that... Those friends of mine that I know that I've spent t- t- tons of time with, when we're talking, particularly about Jesus of Nazareth, particularly the Jesus of the Gospels, it is the same Jesus. They they love that like the 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 show that like the Jesus that I'm portraying in the show, the Jesus that we read about in the scriptures. Um, I firmly believe that, that and, and I, you know, in my deep conversations with them, that that we're when we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, we're talking about the same one. Now,
0: but they may not have, John one that the yep. word was god that right. is not what mormons believe
1: well that may not be the official statement of the lds church but i would say that i know some lds folks who would say i believe in john john chapter one now that may put them in misalignment with their church i don't know i don't get into the details of of whether or not what what, what their church thinks of it. i'm just saying i have you know I, i've literally asked those very questions to some of my friends and i've gone well what do you think of john chapter one i am in the beginning was the word and the word was god and the word was with god they go i believe that i go well it seems to contradict this piece and they go well that piece might might have been misinterpreted by some people so i'm just saying i am not i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you i would say if you said to me does the lds church as a whole and does the evangelical world as a whole share the same fundamental theological beliefs about jesus i would say no but i would say even within the evangelical world there are evangelicals who i would say don't necessarily know Jesus, as the Bible is portraying, because as, as as Bible is 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 contending, because I just don't believe in uh, broad broadly stating about any one people group. This is what they all believe, and this is what they all know. Uh, I wouldn't say that about any particular people group. I've I've known evangel. I've sat next to evangelicals and churches who I would say, yeah, we're going to the same church, but we don't necessarily understand or believe the same things. So I'm. I, I'm acknowledging that, in the in the interview that I did several years ago, that my wording could have been sloppy. So that I wanted to make sure it didn't sound like I'm speaking for an entire people group or speaking about an entire people group. Yeah. I would just say that there are, I think all of us. I think you've. I think all of us have experienced this. If you're, if you're a conservative, if you're a Christian, if you're an evangelical, if you're a Catholic, we've all experienced being painted with a broad brush, based on the 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 name of our tribe that we're in and i've i've seen it happen multiple times that because i'm part of a particular label that there's an assumption made about that i must accept or believe everything about that's typically associated with that label i would say that there's oftentimes exceptions And, and 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 i would say that there there can be exceptions in this case and again i'm not saying that we all agree with the same thing and that we all have the same beliefs about everything i'm not, but but i would say that uh that i was speaking about specific people in that case
0: yeah and I would just encourage people, go back and listen to um, Thursday's episode. We talked to a woman who spent 30 years in the Mormon church and then became a Christian. And it's not saying that everyone with the with a label believes the same things, but it is looking at particular doctrines and just yeah. making sure that people know uh, the true gospel, what is a works-based yep. religion
1: yeah.
0: um, versus what is by grace through faith. And that is what Christianity is founded upon. Um okay and let me say one more if yeah. you don't mind one more Go clarifier too
1: ahead. I have spoken with I would say it's a conservative estimate to say dozens like sp- personal conversations with dozens of people from the LDS faith who have said to me because of the chosen I am finding myself closer to the to Jesus and closer to grace than I ever have in my entire life that I am finding myself falling more in love with Jesus than the church. And that to me um And is, that would
0: be a big shift for Mormons who really see church the LDS church as the authority. So that's
1: No, I mean I know I know people who for whom their church LDS or Catholic or any any kind of formal religion is in many almost like God. Is almost like the thing that they worship, the thing that is their connection to God. And as an evangelical, I passionately believe that you don't need anything formal or anything to, 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 to connect you to God, that you can have a direct relationship with Jesus. And uh, I have talked to dozens personally myself and heard from hundreds online or even thousands of people who have said, I am finding myself f- loving Jesus more and finding a personal relationship with Jesus more so than my church, more so than anything formal, anything— uh, any yeah. any any person or thing as a connection that i'm i'm actually gave, getting direct access to jesus because of this and so uh even if by some chance i disagree with a viewer about someone else's faith i can tell you that the chosen itself the content of the chosen itself i'm responsible for it's not influenced by any religion it's not influenced by any church any person it comes from a personal belief in jesus as the son of god as the ultimate authority as god and, uh, and if that can actually have an influence and an impact yeah. on people who maybe have in the past not been able to have a personal relationship because of whether it's a lack of faith or b- sometimes it's because of the idolatry of their own church, the idolatry of, of uh, their own habits, uh, the idolatry of, of their own vices, but you can actually get past yeah. all of
0: that. Yeah. And I just want my listeners and my viewers to know to make clear that Mormonism is not a denomination. Of Christianity, that there are fundamental differences. Go back and listen to Thursday's episode. But the reason why I am not concerned with some people say, well, I know there are Mormons who work with the company that distribute. The reason why that doesn't, to me, mean that someone should not watch The Chosen is because, from what I've seen, Mormon theology is not influencing The Chosen. It is scripture. And so there are lots of different people of lots of different faiths that we work with that aren't necessarily in our work. There are people that would be like saying that you shouldn't listen to relatable because blaze TV distributes it. And the people who run blaze TV might have, you know, different beliefs than I do. Right. And so that is not
1: including my including LDS.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, but I didn't want yeah. but I did want to just kind of give us the opportunity to kind of talk about that and hear you clarify it because I know a lot of right. people, you know, did have questions? But. Yeah, and
1: absolutely. And I think those are healthy questions. And I would just say, like you just said, even if we end up disagreeing on some of these issues, I don't believe there's a disagreement about the, in the content of the show. And uh, I, I'm gonna. I've said from the beginning, the show speaks for itself. And I am a flawed, sinful human being. And regardless of our conversation about LDS folks. There's plenty of other things about me or something that I, uh, things that I've done, things that I still do, whatever that that we may disagree about or that I struggle with. Like, do not look at the show as the Bible. Do not look at me as God. Do not look at Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, as Jesus. We are flawed human beings, unlike the Bible. <laughs> the Bible is perfect. The Bible is what you are looking to as your authority. This is a show that's going to have... Uh, that's made by a flawed person and uh, i'm not claiming direct scriptural authority or inspiration from god i'm doing my best to try to give a plausible account of, uh, of of the truth and intentions of jesus in the gospels
0: okay it is time it's time it's time to get good ranchers i know you've been thinking about it you've been listening to me talk about it for the past like year and a half and you've been wondering is it worth it and you're still going to the grocery store every week. And you're getting this meat that's from like Brazil and different parts of the world that's not even good. So why don't you just get your meat from Good Ranchers. It'll show up on dry ice to your front door. And then you're guaranteed that all of this meat is American made. You're supporting American farms and ranches. You're guaranteed that it's really good, really high quality. You get a wide variety and you don't have to spend time at the grocery store. Plus, if you subscribe, you get locked in at the price that you pay now. You subscribe for all of 2023, and your price won't go up. So you don't have to worry about inflation when it comes to buying your meat. There is literally no reason for you not to buy Good Ranchers. So when you do, go to GoodRanchers.com, pick out the meat that you want, put it in a box, and use promo code Allie. When you use promo code Alley, you get $35 off. So use my promo code at GoodRanchers.com. That's promo code Allie, GoodRanchers.com, code Alley. I think we have a short clip of one of the is it one of the upcoming episodes.
1: So this is episode two, which I which I would have I think yes. aired aired last night. Yes, yes. Okay. This is uh a, this is a scene with uh, little James, who's one of the disciples, who is played by Jordan Walker Ross, who has cerebral palsy, mild cerebral palsy, and scoliosis. And when I decided to cast him as one of the disciples, I remember thinking. Oh boy! Speaking of theological implications and debates and all that, we're gonna have to tackle this one of why doesn't God heal everybody?
0: Mm. Because
1: we can look around and see that uh, you know Jesus, while he was here on earth, probably we don't see too many, we don't see any examples in the Gospels of him not healing someone. Uh, So that may, you know, that I know some people had questions when they watched the scene that we're about to to show, of of uh, of one of his own disciples saying, "Hey, you're sending us out two by two to go heal." And I'm not healed. Yeah. Why is that?
0: Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and play that.
1: Wanted to ask you a question, please? So you're sending us out with the ability to heal the sick and lame. Yes, that that
0: is what you said. Yes. So you're telling me that I have the ability to heal.
1: <laughs> Forgive me, I just that difficult to imagine with my condition which you haven't healed do you want to be healed
0: yes of course if, if that's possible i think you've seen enough to know it's possible then why haven't you so this is an episode that's playing right before Christmas, and Christmas is a beautiful time of year, but for a lot of people, it's a difficult time of year, whether they have been through tough experiences surrounding Christmas or whether they're dealing with some kind of chronic illness or trial right now. And they're asking this very question. They're asking, well, why won't God fix it. I know that he can. He's good. He loves me. He's powerful. And yet he's not healing me. He's not healing my loved one. He's not fixing it. What is the message of hope to those people going through that right now?
1: Well, yeah, in the, in the, in the scene in, in episode two, um, Jesus says, yeah, it's a good story If, if w- when I do miracles. You know, that's a good story. Um, but, But when you think about it, sometimes even we as human beings, even when we experience a miracle or a great joy or some sort of wonderful resolution to a problem that we face on earth, even then sometimes we forget it. Sometimes it doesn't stick. Sometimes we reject God even after that takes place. Sometimes the best story and sometimes the best example of God's faithfulness is in the midst of pain and struggle when we can still trust God. Uh, that is oftentimes what allows us to have the most impact on people, because uh, there are so many people in this world who don't necessarily believe and who are hurting, and we can say, you know what? God hurt. God hurts sometimes, too. Jesus experienced suffering, pain. He didn't promise that he would alleviate all suffering and pain. If, if anything, he promised that we would experience a lot of it on this earth. Uh, the book of James talks about, uh, there's a verse that says, um, consider it joy, when you experience trials of many kinds, because it's the the the, uh, the testing of your faith produces endurance, and uh, it's it's similar to um, you know working out. You know, like when you uh, the process of working out oftentimes means lifting things that weren't meant to be lifted, mm-hmm. and and causing your body pushing your body past what it what you think it might be capable of, and that produces strength. And so during this holiday season, um, with sometimes it's a it almost puts a spotlight on your suffering because you're seeing everyone having so much joy and happiness and you're like, why aren't I experiencing that? And uh, little James says later in that scene, he's like, "I, I know it's easy to say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It's the song of David, you know, it's a psalm. But it doesn't make experiencing this any easier. And it doesn't make me feel like less of a burden. And Jesus talks about how all of us have something all of us, every single person that you see, successful or not successful, has something in their life that is a struggle or a hindrance or a or a pain point or some piece of suffering. And finding joy in the midst of suffering, it's not easy. But when you have a relationship with God and you have the ability to think on an eternal perspective as opposed to a, a temporary one, on when you can get on the joy program instead of the happiness program, because happiness comes and goes, but that joy that that is... Can exist even in the midst of, of of pain. It's difficult, and I don't think in in one minute I'm going to be able to 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 give the answer to how to find it uh, beyond just uh, all I can tell you is that I I've never met anyone who didn't end up finding a relationship with with Jesus who didn't get more on that joy plan as opposed to the happiness plan. Mm-hmm. And I do think, at the risk of sounding cheesy, that's what makes Christmas so awesome. Is you go when Jesus was born, this thing that we're celebrating the Messiah, the savior of the universe actually came to a stable to parents who were really poor and scared and in over their heads and just as freaked out as sometimes we get. And that's part of what the chosen is all about is trying to help you understand that the, that the questions and the challenges and the, the, the doubts that they faced 2000 years ago are the same that we face today. And hopefully you can see that the answer and the solution to those questions and doubts is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago.
0: Yes, and amen. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate this. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, yes.